everybody. Hope you guys were able to have a good and reflective Memorial Day weekend. This past Sunday, we were in our fifth week of our The New Exodus series. We've been talking all about the Jews' return from exile as they've gone through a time of spiritual reform, rebuilding the temple, and rebuilding the walls. Basically, just rebuilding their home, rebuilding their city. And uh, this past week's conversation was all about this question. Do you experience joy during worship? Because if not, we have work to do. Someone who does not get excited about worshiping our Father may not be ready for heaven. And I know that may sound like a pretty serious question, but I invite you to listen along to the rest of the message today and then kind of see where we were going with that statement. So again, thanks for listening. Um, go to our website at www.17scc.com. You can actually watch these services live from there every Sunday morning, but we'd also love it if you'd come join us one Sunday. We go, uh, service begins at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. Uh, we've got stuff for kids, adults, and everything in between um, every single Sunday. So we'd love it if you'd come check us out. Uh, also, if you just enjoy this message, you find it moving or impactful, we just ask that you share it with somebody you know. That way you can maybe make a difference in their life as well. Again, thanks for tuning in today. Good morning, everybody. Again, good morning and welcome to 17th Street. Thank you guys so much uh, for being here today. Um, hopefully you guys were able to, you know, um, take some time back a little bit this weekend and not just eat hot dogs, but actually remember why we have this holiday in the first place. And that's why, that's what we just watched. So it's always good to be reminded of those things. I hope you guys are doing good. If you're visiting with us today or if you're watching online for the first time, my name's Mike and I'm happy that you are here. Um, we've been going through this series the past several weeks and we're winding down, by the way. Uh, next week will be our last week, I do believe, in this conversation um, of the new Exodus. We've been talking about the Jews leaving um, exile, heading back to Jerusalem to rebuild uh, their temple, to have spiritual reform, rebuild the walls, rebuild their city, basically. And I know if you've been here every week, you're like, Mike, I get it, you say that every week, but maybe not all of us realize that. That's what we've been talking about over the past few weeks. And the reason we've been doing this is because it's important to notice the struggles they had to go through to get there and what they prioritized as they were starting over. And we can kind of take that into our own lives and say, well, these are the things we should prioritize because they did. And also, it's got a whole lot to do with the way we operate the church. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a few minutes. But, but we, we've discussed all about the first thing they did when they got to where they were going was they took time off. And they made donations of their possessions, possessions of their time, possessions of their talents. They all chipped in to make it work. We talked about the purpose of the church all together. We've talked about what we're supposed to be doing when we actually worship. And then last week, we talked about the one thing that gets pushed aside a lot of times, and that is what happens when we are opposed. Because life is not simple. Life is not easy. And what do we do when we face opposition? The whole point last week, if you weren't with us, is this. We should be facing regular daily opposition when it comes to our faith. And if we are not, it may be because we're not doing enough. I truly believe that Satan doesn't waste his time with people who aren't making a difference. And so if you are not facing regular opposition, maybe we need to have a, a little bit of a checkup and say, okay, am I not doing what I should be doing? And that was our whole conversation uh, last week. Well, today, uh, well, when we had this conversation of uh, worship a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about it just in song, if you remember. Whenever I use the word worship, I know... That's a big definition. You can take it many different ways. But when I use it then, we kind of talked about just the fact of singing songs. Today, when I use the word worship, 
I want us to think of the gathering all together. Like when we gather in the building, all the parts, you know, the reading, the message, the prayers, everything put together when I use the word worship, okay? So there's the context today. But before we go any farther, I've asked this question before, and I want you to answer it honestly in your bulletin. Are you joyful? Are you, you notice I didn't put happy person, because those are two different things. We're not going to go into that. But are you a joyful person? If so, when did you experience joy last week? When were times when you experienced joy last week? I'll be honest, I had a pretty good week. I had a pretty good week, um, lots of joyful moments, lots of little celebrations here and there. It was just, I, Mike, Mike had, a, had some joy this week. It was a pretty good week. When did you experience joy this past week? Well, Mike, I didn't. Why? That question I don't believe is in the bulletin, I don't think, but just kind of answer that. If you didn't, why? What was the reasoning on why? A couple weeks ago when we talked about worship with song, we kind of talked about the things that we should be doing during the time of singing praises to God. And we kind of walked through these. I'm going to recap this a little bit. Whenever we worship God, we should remember what he's done for us. That should then cause us to anticipate what he will do for us. It should lead us into a time of confession. Then it should lead us into a time to repent of our sins of what we are doing. So here's a question. When you worship God, not just talking about song, okay, not just song today. When you worship, when you come in his house, do you experience joy? Do you experience joy when you worship God? Because if you're not, we're going to try to fix that, first of all, okay? It's some work that that has to be done. Do you truly experience joy when you worship God, the creator of of the universe, the great I am, Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah, Jireh, Yahweh, God the Father. Do you experience joy when you worship him? Because you should. But joy is something that's not always easy to get to. Whenever it comes to the whole uh, worship experience, I I think both parties have to meet in the middle. And when I say that, I mean the ones that are receiving versus the ones that are presenting or giving. I think there comes to a point where you kind of have to meet in the middle. And, and this is what I mean. You, we could hire um, a, a preacher to come in here where one Sunday we had to pay him $20,000 to preach one message. They're out there. Okay? We, we, we do that. You know, we spend $100,000 uh, getting new sound equipment. You know, we, we fill it with vocalists and instruments. We get a symphony. We have an orchestra. We have everybody. We could spend a million dollars getting the best experience in the world, to have the best message, the best music, everything. But if you come in the doors with a hard heart, you will not experience worship. The same as the other way around. You could come in a soft heart, ready to experience him, But if no one doing the giving has any idea what they're doing, it's going to be hard to get there. I think it's a a mutual. You have to meet somewhere. And I'm like, Mike, I don't really agree with that. Well, sorry, I got the mic today. Uh, um, But but listen to this quote. Listen to this quote. This is kind of scary. A.W. Tozer, you may have heard of him, said this. Any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off by worship is not ready Any man or woman on this earth who is bored or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Well, why? What do you think heaven's going to be? It's not just going to be you on the golf course. (laughs) 
You're in the presence of the Almighty, which should therefore lead to worship and therefore lead to joy. Look at Scripture. I know you guys did a whole uh, conversation on Revelation a few months ago with Daryl. But look at this, Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and strength and glory, honor and glory and praise for praising God. Chapter 7. And then I looked, and then before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches with their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped Heaven's going to be a lot of worship. It's going to be a lot. Do you experience joy when you worship? If not, we need to fix that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but maybe you've seen, we, sometimes we see people who are joyful uh, in worship, maybe sometimes in movies and TV shows, you know, a couple of movies here on the screen. Maybe if you've ever watched the Blues Brothers or some worship scenes, they're, they're getting excited. Or about the Sister Act, maybe any of you watch the Lady Killers, you see me of these, they're, they're excited, they're joyful whenever they get to worship God. Are we joyful when we worship God? We're going to look a little bit today, um, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, if you want to open up to that. We're going to be seeing as the people are gathering in Jerusalem, as they're gathering side by side, they're about to lead them into a time of worship. And the things they do, we can kind of copycat that and say that's what we should be doing in our services of worship. That's where we're going today. Okay, And, and this very detailed passage, if you read all through Nehemiah chapter 8, it's very detailed. And it's basically giving you the information of how they are doing worship now in their new home as they've reestablished it. Okay, We're going to read a little bit today through chapter 8. So let's start in verse 1. It says this, all the people came together. As one in the square before the water gate, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So the first day of the seventh month, is, <coughs> excuse me, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which made up of men and women who were all able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. So church, next Sunday is going to go from daybreak to noon. Just kidding. We're not there yet. That wouldn't be too joyful. Well, should it be? Anyway, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, and behind, beside him was a bunch of men names I'm not going to try to pronounce. You know, not only is this a tremendous amount of respect we're seeing, what's the first things they do when they gather for this worship? They read from the book, they read scripture. They read, they stand, they make it a purpose, they, they have respect for what's being read. Let's keep going, look at verse 5. Ezra opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them and as he opened it, all the people stood. You noticed they stood. Why did they stand for the reading of the law? Respect, right? I mean, a lot of times we stand to show respect. I was trying, as I was reading through this this week, I tried to think 
of some ways we show respect, you know, just in our everyday lives. You know, many churches, we don't really have a dedicated time of reading. I'm here, at least right now. A lot of places do that. A lot of churches, services do that, and people will stand to show respect out of the reading of Scripture. If we did that throughout the sermon, you'd be, we would get a workout by the time I was done. Sometimes the amount of Scripture that gets quoted. But think about the time things you do to show respect for others. Men, think about it with your ladies. You open the door, right? Show respect, right? I mean, you open the door. Anyone pull the chair out? I tried to do it for Jenna the other day, and she just looked at me like, what are you doing? I mean, you pull out the chair. Well, that's respect. Right? You shake someone's hand. I really did. You can ask her. At dinner, they're not. I tried to pull out the chair, and I didn't know what I was doing. We shake people's hands, right, out of, out of respect. That's something we do. Take off the coat, right? You ever take someone's coat off? Can I, can I, can I take your coat to the, you know, the coat room, if you, if you have a coat room? I, I don't know. These are things we do. We call people Mr. and Mrs. We show respect, right? How do we show respect to God? We don't take his coat, obviously. We don't let him order first. We don't get the door for him. What are ways that we can respect God? Well, the first thing is, is we treat his name with dignity. This isn't on your bulletin, but you can write it down. We treat his name with dignity. We don't discount his word. We pay attention, right? In a time of worship, we pay attention. It's one way we show respect to God. Maybe like, well, I think everybody, we should be in suits and ties. That's how we show respect to God. Well, think about it in a classroom setting. Let's just kind of switch it to the schoolroom. You can have Junior shows up in his nice Sunday best suit and everything, but if he doesn't pay attention, he's not going to learn anything. But then you can have the, the kid that comes in rags, but he's attentive, and he can leave there learning everything. Sometimes it's not what we wear. It's what we, how we pay attention. It's one of the ways we show respect to God. We thank him. We thank God. Show respect. Right? How many of you, whenever you raised your kids, you say, you say, say please and thank you whenever they're going through the line, right? Say that. Do we say please and thank you to God? We're going to kind of read through the rest of our, our parts here of chapter 8, and we're going to kind of take some things that we should be doing as a church, as a body, as the Jews did, and how we, hopefully, by doing that, we can experience joy through worship. If we are not experiencing joy through worship, we're just having a gathering, okay? We're wasting AC money, okay? <laughs> that's, all, that's all we're doing if we're not expressing joy through times of worship, all right? So we're going to be in verses 8. You know, throughout this passage, there's an emphasis on the idea of worship. And one of the big things they do is as they're reading the book of the law, they are excited when they get to understand it. It's because you'll notice they're reading it and they're explaining it to people who are listening. They're not passively listening to the scriptures. Are you passively listening when scripture is read? Let's look. Verse 8. The Levites, Jeshu, Benai, Sherebi, Jamin, Akabub, she, we're going to skip, skip a few verses down, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what is being read. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what is being read. In worship, in church, when we talk about scripture, we should always explain what it means. We're just reading, right? Things go over our heads. It gets confusing, right? We have to ask questions to get there. Part of the experience of worship is understanding the scripture. 
I have a big goal that hopefully I'll never preach a sermon that doesn't involve some scripture. You know, hope, hopefully. You know, sometimes less, sometimes more. Sometimes just one verse you crank out the whole time, sometimes a bunch. But hopefully there's never a message where it's not going back to scripture. Even if it's a topical conversation, let's see what God has to say about it. But saying that is we should not passively listen. We should not be passive listeners to the word. We should truly listen. Not just hear, we should truly listen. Which is why on Wednesday nights when we come to Bible study, I ask you, hey, read the, read the, uh, the chapter before you come to class. That way we can talk about it. That way we can actually grasp what, what's going on. So it's not just scripture going over your head. Answer this, are you actually listening or are you just hearing when it comes to scripture? That's one big thing. You will never experience joy in worship if you're not actually listening. You're just hearing a story. There's no joy in that. It's like, okay, cute, let's move on. You will never experience joy if you don't start actively listening to Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Are you actually listening when scripture is read, or is it just, eh, it's, I'll pay attention when he's done, saying the names I can't comprehend. Are we paying attention, or are we being passive? Next emphasis is this, rejoicing. When we come to a time of worship, we should rejoice. You'll notice that whenever the Jews are rebuilding Jerusalem, they emphasize rejoicing. They're not just there reading and going home. They emphasize rejoicing in what they've learned. Look at verse 8. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people understood what is being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Well, that makes sense on why you would cry. If you're actually listening, it should attack you emotionally, right? Because you realize that what the prophets said are speaking directly to you. It should make you get a little emotional. And he's like, hey, don't stop there. Keep looking. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's saying whenever you read this scripture, you hear these things, it should make you feel a little bad because it should be in your face. But he's like, well, don't stop there. Rejoice because keep reading to the end of the story. We should rejoice in time of worship. How do they rejoice? They say, go have a meal. It's the first potluck in church history, right? It's what we see that whenever the Jews return to Jerusalem. They're celebrating. They're rejoicing. Do we rejoice when we come to worship? It's a hard question. It's, it, might, it might make you feel guilty if you ask yourself that. Do you rejoice when you come to worship? Verse 12, Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of the food and to celebrate with great joy. Why? Because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. They're celebrating because they finally understand what the scripture says. We should celebrate. We should be so happy when we finally grasp what God is telling us. And here's the thing. 
They're just reading the old law. We get to read the gospel every single week. Why aren't we more happy? We're rejoicing. Think about it. They're celebrating. They're so thrilled just that they finally understood what the prophet said. And look at us. We get to read about Jesus whenever we want to. It should cause us to rejoice. Romans 8 and 1, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the joy that we get to. Last one. This is one, honestly, I think our church does pretty well at that I've learned over the last year and a half. Whenever we gather, we should have the desire to commune. We should have the desire, in other words, to gather more. <laughs> we should have the desire to get together, to eat, and to study, and to rejoice, and to celebrate, and to understand God's word. Let's, get, let's, let's fast forward a little bit to verse 14. This is what it says. Now they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. It says, go out into the hill country and be, bring, back, bring back branches from the olive and the wild olive trees and from myrtles and palms and shade trees and make temporary shelters. That is written. Talking about the Festival of Booths through history. So the people went out and brought back branches and they built themselves temporary shelters of their own roofs and in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gates and the one by the gate of Ephraim and the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra, he read from the book of the law. They celebrated the festival of seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance to their regulation, there was an assembly. They got together. <laughs> I know it's complicated. It's talking about the Festival of Booze. You can go back and read about the, the, if you want some history reading this week. But in other words, when they gathered, they did it all together. It doesn't say they just left their homes to gather once a day. They had temporary shelters. There was the desire so much to be with each other. They all made temporary homes so they could live in community. Do we have that desire? Or do we, do we crave the presence of God so much that we would leave our homes and just go be with people as much as we could? I don't know, Mike. I don't know if I want to be around people that much. Ask yourself, is someone saying that about you? Do they not feel, or do they not see the presence of Christ through you? So that's why they don't want to gather with you? Do you have the desire to commune with others? Imagine this city, this entire city is all living together in this one moment to celebrate, to celebrate the Father. Imagine today an entire city living like that. Maybe not in booths and, you know, living together in that way. But an entire city living for one purpose, and that is to celebrate God. Imagine all of Corbin, Kentucky gathered to do nothing but worship God. Wouldn't it be amazing? Here's this question. What are you doing to make that a reality? Because many of us will ask this, we'll say, well, I mean, it's great to dream about that, but it'll never happen. There's a lot of nevers in Scripture that become false. <laughs> what are you doing to make that dream a reality? We should have the desire to commune, and when we commune, there should be joy because we're in the presence of the Father. Because it says what Scripture tells us, that when two or more gather, he is there with you. 
If you didn't mean, you don't understand what that means, Jesus is in this room right now. We should feel him. Well, Mike, I can't. We need to wake up a little bit. We need to listen. We don't need to be passive listeners. We need to listen. We need to rejoice. We need to understand. That way we can have joy worship. Joy when we worship. But that is not easy to do, is it? I'm going to give you some homework. We have to work on ourselves sometimes before we can try to bring that joy to other people. Some of us in this room don't know Jesus yet. We pretend we do for the last 50 years so we don't have to have awkward conversations at lunch on Sunday. But some of us have not truly given our lives over to Christ. You will never experience the joy and peace of Jesus if you do not first give your life over to him. You will never have joy in worship. And this will only become a meeting you do on Sunday. That's all it will ever be. Is there anyone here today who is ready to have joy in worship? I am. We've got to work on ourselves first so we can do that. I've used this illustration before. It's the reason why, you know, in an airplane, when the cabin pressure drops and the, the masks fall down, what do they tell you to do? Hey, put it on yourself before you help the child next to you. Who needs to do that today? You know, John 3.16, you know, says what? Recite it with me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal You know, that's how we get to joy and worship is a few things. First of all, we have to completely believe in our hearts that that is who Jesus is. You know, and after he left this earth, people were asking, Hey, disciples, what do we need to do to be saved? What do we need to do to experience Christ forever? Peter looks at him and he replies, Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If there is someone here today who needs to do that so you can, for the first time, experience joy I invite you to come. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you so much for this book. God, thank you for your word. God, forgive us for not listening. God, forgive us for maybe wasting our times when we gather. God, forgive us for not always making it about you. Lord, today, God, help us to rejoice. God, help us to like push our pride to the side so we can focus on you. God, I, I, I don't want to be, dis, I don't want to just attend a meeting every week, Lord. Please help us experience you in this time of worship. God, we love you. God, forgive us. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, who needs to accept you, work on them right now. Father, we say this in your son's name. Amen. I was watching a, <coughs> excuse me, I was watching a video the other day. It was kind of scary. A train had been derailed. Not completely. Hadn't fallen over yet. But one of the wheels, I don't know all the ter- technical terms, but one of the wheels had fallen off the track. And so as it's going, it's going, I mean, it's making this terrible noise. And it's not going fast. And they had to get it back on the track. So you know what they did? They took this device. I don't know what it's called. It was kind of big, metal, chunky-looking thing. And they put it there on the track. And that way, as it's going forward, that wheel hits it and causes it to go back on. Some of us need to get back on track because we're squealing. And there's no peace in that, is there? No. (laughs) Well, Mike, I'm doing okay. You can only walk with that squeal or that limp for so long. Eventually, the train's going to fall off. Trains are heavy. Is there anyone here today who needs to get back on track? Anyone want to come and repent? Anyone want to rededicate their life to the Father today? Anyone want to accept him for the first time? 
Anyone just want to hug because you're going through it and you need prayer? Is there anyone here today? If that's you, would you come as we stand, as we sing?